Hi guys, I'm Paige, if anyone doesn't know me. Um, I started coming to Crossroads like a couple years ago. I'm Matt's girlfriend, so he's the one who basically brought me here. And I'm very grateful that I am here. I'm just gonna pull my notes real quick. Um, yeah, so the message that I'm reflecting on was Tom's last week, and it was basically on, um, it was on Satan in general, but specifically I wanted to talk about the tactics of Satan because what I thought Tom touched on was really interesting and I wanted to investigate it a little bit more. Um, so he basically outlined the main tactics of Satan as noise and isolation, which make way for lies. And this is first demonstrated actually in Genesis 3, which is where Satan is first introduced in the Bible. So like as soon as we see Satan in the Bible, we see the way he acts and we see the twistedness and the insidiousness of what he does. Um, so Genesis 3, 1, um, oh, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So this is noise because Eve knew the commandment of God. She was with God when God created mankind and she knew what God wanted her to do. Like God had told her, you, you can eat of anything in the garden, but just this one tree you can't touch. So she knew, but the serpent, what he first does is he distracts her. And the way he does this, I think is really interesting actually, because it's almost like he's asking her, like he heard a rumor, like, oh, is it real? Is it true that you can't eat any of the tree? And she's like, no, like that's not what he said, but it's, it's not meant to be logical, but it's meant to distract her and it's meant to make her question, um, number one, the credibility of God. Um, number two, if she really cares about Eve, because he's sort of like putting this thing in her mind like, oh, well, God doesn't really care about you because if he really cared about you, he would let you eat like anything. So, and number three, um, this is kind of a very insidious thing that he does that I think a lot of us have this line of thought, which is if she can't eat the forbidden fruit, there's no point in eating any fruit at all. So um, my like examples personally of this like noise would be actually, it's Mother's Day and my mom calls monkey brain. So it's like when you're, when you're just thinking of everything at once and it's, you're not really thinking of anything specifically, but it's just all of these thoughts hitting you at the same time that aren't getting you anywhere, but they're just distracting you from the point of everything. They're distracting you from God. Um, and also, like, I get this. I don't know if anyone else gets this, but I'm very um, susceptible to, like, sensory overload. So, like, if there's a lot of things happening to me at once or if there's a lot of, like, physical sensations or, like, things, again, like, the monkey brain thing, too, this will make me, if it's a lot of things happening at once, I lose my train of thought and then I lose my focus on God. And it makes me more susceptible to any sort of lies which Satan tries to get in there, which I'll get to. So um, Genesis three verses four through seven, um, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, 
She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So this is step two, this is the lies. And lie number one is you will not die. It's all good lies have a component of truth, and Satan is the father of lies, so it makes sense that he would tell the first good lies. Um, they don't die immediately, but death, by, def by I think biblical definition, is eternal separation from God, which is the natural consequence of ritual separation from God in the form of sin. Because when we sin, we are separating ourselves from God's image of us, and over time, that leads to eternal death. Line number two is your eyes will be opened. Again, has a component of truth. The first thing that they see is not goodness, it's not wisdom, it's that they're naked. So it make, this makes them anxious and it makes them ashamed. So it's another twisted paradox that the opening of their eyes is the, observ is the observation of their own fallacies, which causes them shame. But the ironic thing is that they wouldn't have anything to be shameful about if they never sinned in the first place, if they never ate the fruit. Line number three, and this is the biggest one, is you will be like God. It's a very, again, twisted paradox. I was thinking about this a lot. Because I'm like, why would Satan say this if it's like obviously just like not even But the interesting thing is that the action of them eating the fruit is the action of trying to take the reins from God because God specifically said, don't eat the fruit. The fruit itself doesn't have the power to make them like God. The fruit gives them the power of like autonomy over their actions to try to take the place of God. So this is their pride, and pride is the, the biggest sin. I mean, C.S. Lewis had a whole chapter on pride. It was its own thing. Um, so... My examples of like lies, um, again, they're, they have a component of truth. Um, the big one is us constantly telling ourselves, like, I'm a horrible person. Like, this is one that kind of gets me a lot. Is I get really caught up on this idea of like, I'm a horrible person. I'm a horrible person because there's part of scripture that tells us that yeah, we're inherently sinful, and. There's no changing that. But the truth is that God loves us and he sent his son to die for us. So it doesn't matter that I'm like a quote unquote horrible person. But that's what that's how Satan will try to get us. He gets us with these half-truths and then we fixate on those half-truths and they become the only thing that we can focus on. Um, and then another one which has been I have really bad senioritis, so this has been one for me recently, is that there's no point. <laughs> there's no point. So, like, <laughs> um, we, especially, like, um, there's part of it that can be seen as truthful, right? Because, especially, like, in Ecclesiastes, we read that everything, um, if, we, if we observe everything, it can be easy to come to this conclusion that everything under the sun is vanity, but if we reach the end of Ecclesiastes, um, we read that to fear God and to keep his commandments is our lot, and that's what we should be doing. So when we focus on these half-truths that Satan sends us that are lies in the end, then this will lead to our demise. Um, 
So Genesis 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So this is isolation. Um, and it's, again, another one of these painful paradoxes where Adam and Eve sinned, but because of their sin, they hide themselves more from God. They separate themselves more from God, this time deliberately, because they're, they're afraid of their sin. And so they just they isolate themselves. Um, and so isolation is this really painful combination of like a hatred of ourselves because of our sin and a refusal to repent. Um, because God doesn't call us to just sit in our sin. He calls us to repent, to come back to him after that. But this isolation is using these lies that Satan tells us to keep ourselves from God even more. And so this causes this like horrible spiral um, where we won't repent, but we won't, we won't, we won't repent but, I'm sorry. <laughs> but we won't. I'm so sorry. Okay. I like, totally lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, it's okay. Yes. Exactly. What Leanne said. <laughs> My example of like this isolation is, I think, um, a pretty common one, which is this like no one understands me mindset of like you think you're so bad, you think you're so so bad that you can't interact with people, you can't go to God, you can't go to anyone, um, which is not true because I think that we are all just at, like Scripture tells us that we're that no um, no one is righteous, not even one. And so we can't, we can't just run away from God. We can't run away from other people because we think that we're worse than everyone because we're not. That's another form of pride. I actually was listening to um, an interview recently with a secular um, artist that I listened to. And she was talking about, um, she was talking about having uh, like a God complex and hating yourself at the same time. And she, was, she said something that I thought was really interesting given that she's not a Christian, but she said, they're the same guy to me. And I was like, yeah, they are. So, um, yeah, so that's isolation. So this is like our sequence, which is number one, noise distracts us. Number two, lies um, about the character of God. Pride, which <coughs> forces us to sin because we think that we know better than God. Um, number four, shame, which tells us that we're unsalvageable. Not true, because Jesus died for us. Number five, um, isolation from God and others, which allows the cycle to repeat. Um, so the conclusion that I came to was that um, unless we repent, fall in love with God, submit to his grace, and forget our selfish desires, the, tactic, the tactics of Satan are unfortunately um, very effective. Mm -hmm.